1: Hello and welcome to another new episode of the Step Over Pod. I am Jim Adair. With me, as always, is Max. In Game 1, the Sixers looked like crap but in Game 2, it looked like they were back Ooh, um, wow. Yeah, no, It was a long topical. one, and it was very bad. Yeah, very topical, you know? It's like, I'm like a late-night host. It was very Jay Leno of me, because Jay Leno was the worst one. Uh, but yeah, uh, we are back. Uh, this is our first uh, uh, mid-playoff uh, uh, playoffs in, in action pod. Uh, game 1 and Game 2, uh, very, very different games. We are currently recording this as Wednesday, so Game 3 is tomorrow. Uh, most of you will probably end up hearing it when when Game 3 is today. So, happy Game 3 day, everybody. Um, we saw two very different teams, uh, two very different games. Um, before we get into kind of more individual things about those and the games going forward... Uh, what were kind of like the, the big takeaways for you, Max, if from game one and game two, or maybe even just uh, uh, taking them together? How do you feel about about the way the team is playing and the team as they are right now?
2: You know, to be honest, it, it's kind of hard to know what to take from it just because I feel like this has kind of been, this is kind of what we talked about last time, but I feel like it's kind of been the story throughout the season where there just hasn't been, uh, I guess, a, like a common narrative or theme or whatever Um, It's felt really disjointed, right? Like, they'll look really good for three or four games straight or for a couple weeks and then go through a stretch where they don't and go back and forth within that. And, like, Mm -hmm. I'm not totally convinced, like, oh, they've turned the corner. But um, I thought this was the most – I guess the most I feel like they've played, like, a team in the last maybe three weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it just felt like – I felt like they moved the ball better. I felt like they um, they just looked less disjointed. Um, you, you know, I, I feel like because the, the starting five haven't really played together much, because, uh, you know, between Mike Scott and Boban and even Jonah Bolden, like a lot of these guys weren't even in the rotation, really. And I, I feel like it's not only are the, is the starting five like relatively untested together, but then you also have... The majority of your of your bench are guys who were not playing minutes two and a half months ago, or just mm-hmm. weren't on the team. Uh, I felt like this was promising in the sense that, you know, obviously they hit shots. Uh, you know, it, it's you got you got production from guys who would really been struggling. But I think the more the more impressive thing to me was like it just felt like things flowed. They got open open looks. Um, there weren't as many like miscommunications as I feel like there were in game one. Game one was just like, it felt like the Sixers were were reacting um, to the nets instead of the other way around. And we're just struggling to do so. And we're getting, getting flustered. And um, I didn't see as much of that in in game two, obviously, because they, they pretty much dominated, but uh, yeah, it felt, it felt late in day. And I, I think beyond like any individual performances, it was really just that, I don't know, things flowed a lot better. It didn't feel like... They, like In game one, they just relied so much on, on Jimmy Butler because they had to, and even that wasn't great. Like, Jimmy was hitting shots and getting to the rim and getting fouled, but, like, it, it just didn't... It felt like he was having to make something happen, whereas game two felt like things were just happening um, right. for the Sixers.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I, just, I just pulled up the box score for both games, um, and you can just, you know... Really, the the game one was a tale of, of two quarters, uh, essentially. Really, a tale of one quarter, uh, that quarter being the first quarter when they were at, go in and down nine. Uh, they actually outscored Brooklyn in the th- uh, second and fourth quarters, um, but were just barely outscored by them in the third. But it just the way they played was just abysmal, basically, right? Um, and I think it's kind of like you said; it's it's kind of like how this team has been recently with the ups and downs because. We've seen four different teams in this series, right? We saw the Game 1 and Game 2 Nats and the Game 1 and Game 2 Sixers. The Sixers were both the worst of the four and the best of the four in these two games. The worst, the worst team we've seen on the floor of this series has been the Game 1 Sixers. And the best team we've seen by far has been the Game 2 Sixers, right? Um, yeah. Just looking at very basic numbers, uh, in, in Game 1, their effective field goal percentage was 42.4%. Uh, in Game 2, it was 607 you're gonna most likely going to end up splitting the difference there somewhere. And I think if you do split that difference, uh, you'll mostly be fine. Um, I think they are closer to that Game 2 team. Um, definitely on paper and in most times on the court. But they really just got to beat away the demons that, uh, that got them into that Game 1 performance because it was just awful across the board. Um, you're not going to win many games when you shoot 12% from three, no matter how well or poorly the other team shoots as well. Now, they shot 42%, but when you were three for 25 from distance, you're not going to win very many games. And they were still only, I mean, they were almost forty 39.1% in game two, um, which is much better, but uh, it still wasn't as good as Brooklyn uh, in either game. In, in both games, Brooklyn has shot... There was 42, 42% from three and 41.7, basically right around the same. Um, that being consistent over two games is scary. Um, there will... Be, you hope and it's likely there'll be some regression there along with some progression from the Sixers in that, in that front because they are generally on the season were a team that defended the three well. Uh, but that's not something that you can let happen because if... You play these games tighter, and like you say, you split the difference between game one and game two, and the Nets are just the Nets. I guess they have been. You're a lot more likely to win a game if they're not making 43, 44 percent of the three pointers. Um, but yeah, I, I think game one was the absolute worst case scenario for this team, and game two was the best case scenario. There was a lot of panic, uh, a lot of concern, a lot of uh, like this team could never possibly win with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, specifically with Ben Simmons. Like, might as well trade him now. Uh, this guy stinks. Uh, second year All-Star, 22 years old. Absolutely terrible. All this stuff. Um, and then there's a lot of elation on after game two. And I do think as, as, as panic mode and as reactionary as the game one takes were, if you flip those and they came out in game one and scored like that, it would have been the same thing on the other side, right? People have been talking about you know, are the Sixers like, are they now a favorite to win a championship? Right. They came out and scored, they went 21 and two, two and a half minutes into the third quarter. Like that's a very hard thing that doesn't happen very often. Um, especially with a team who like consistently is not, you watch so many other teams in the playoffs. Um, and every, every team pretty much that's in the playoffs. This is the cream of the crop has a player that basically who you had hoped, uh, Markel Fultz was going to be, right? Not to bring up mm-hmm. he who should not be named, but you look at uh, Dame Lillard, right? You look at Jamal Murray. These guys who can do essentially what Jimmy Butler ended up doing in game one, right? Where you just take someone off the dribble, you kind of stare them down, you slowly work them, and you do these step backs or take these jumpers or drive. But Butler can't be relied on to do that because first of all, he's just in in more often than not as not being your point guard. And he's also just used a lot more efficiently in other fastest of the game and not having a player like that I think might end up being their downfall in this in this playoffs in general um, and that would be a huge thing in, in, in the in the postseason but like you see players I mean at the same time a lot of players don't a lot of teams don't have a Joel Embiid and don't have a Ben Simmons but when you watch guys do something like that when you watch the way Damian Lillard has been playing uh, and you're just like shit if there was just like a guy who was like half of that I'd feel so much better about this team you know and that's the stuff that's kind of scary because that's you know Quite frankly, that's what D'Angelo Russell is, right? And I think that's why the Nets just look more like your your standard playoff NBA team, right? They're they're built like that, one through five. And the Sixers have a weird construction, and that's kind of been the issue with them, you know, over this year and last year, right? They have a weird construction. Part of that is because Ben Simmons isn't a shooting point guard, and he's that big. Um. And part of that is is just because of the way the team is built' Cause you can always you know you could have focused on bringing a guy in who can do that kind of stuff. It's also because Markel Foltz is, is non existent and he was the guy who was going to be doing that um so they they kind of are really an outlier in in the playoffs in general they're built in a weird way um which could be work really well to their advantage as we saw in game two and work against them as we saw in game one
2: yeah i i i thought I thought to like consistently through both games uh it, it kind of ended up being what we said was maybe the worst case scenario or the scenario where we saw um maybe the nets having having a uh an avenue to to contend to win the series and that was mm-hmm. like guys other than g and joe russell stepping up right like karis right. lippard and spencer dinwiddie and and that's really happened joe harris point. yeah joe harris it's like and that that has basically well, off the—I mean, their bench has has scored like I think they're averaging almost seventy points a game, and some of that is a little inflated because they were playing uh, bench guys the entire fourth quarter of that game, and like right. um, Shabazz Napier came off the bench and scored like thirteen in the fourth. That didn't matter, but like they're doing what you would expect them to do if they were gonna sneak. You know, sneak into a to a first a first round win, the Nets, right? Um, because they weren't going to do it with just Andrew Russell. It was going to be the Sixers are game planning against Andrew Russell, and everyone else kind of just steps up and plays their role. And it's like a Celtics kind of thing that the Sixers right. just can't seem to stop. Uh, and they've done that. And obviously, in Game One, they crushed the Sixers, and in Game Two, they shot forty two percent from three. Uh, their bench was was solid throughout, and They lost by 22 and the Sixers, you know, I don't think they'll, they'll, like you said, they're not going to shoot 61% effective field goal percentage. They're not going to score 145 points, but like if they can just keep up with that, I mean, the Nets basically through two games have played as well as you could expect them to play offensively, at least, um, and, and have done the things you would expect them to do if they were going to, to compete in the series. And the Sixers, I think don't need a performance like game two every time, but like, Really, that game one performance I feel like was uh, such an outlier in the other direction that I, I guess that doesn't concern me in the same way that that game two doesn't make me go, "Oh, they have turned the corner." Uh, right. But I think I think seeing the Nets do all this and it basically having taken the Sixers completely shitting the bed in game one to to get that win mm-hmm. um, makes me feel a little bit better just about like where the series is at and and confident that the Sixers, have,
1: as long as they don't shit the bed three more times, we'll get
2: out of the series.
1: Right. Um, and, you know, what you're saying about the bench and stuff, that is terrifying, right? Because single game plus minuses are a relatively useless stat, right? Um, because, for example, uh, in the game where the Nets lost 145-123, to 123, obviously most of their team is going to have a negative plus minus. The only players that had positives uh, were Shabazz, Napier, uh, Theo Pinson, and Zan and Musa who all played the exact same amount of garbage-time minutes, and they were all plus eight because they were all in there as a unit. Um, everyone else was in negatives. But the scary thing is, um, if you look at game one, uh, now, to be fair, uh, Rodion's Kuruks and Jared Allen started the game, but to played, they both played the two least minutes of any player that played. Um, but the only player in the quote-unquote starting five who had a positive plus-minus was Damari Carroll. And the only bench player who played who didn't have a positive plus-minus of at least 16 was Travion Graham. Dinwiddie was plus 17. Jared Dudley was plus 16. Ed Davis is 28. Karis Levert was plus 18. And the Sixers are built basically to be the opposite of that. So when you're in situations where the Sixers obviously have a very powerful, um, and especially when they're really clicking, they have a really, really great starting five and the rest is kind of just noise. Uh, And the Nets are the opposite. Nets are built you know the way like you can you would say the celtics were like you brought that up uh they're built where their starting five isn't necessarily their five best players um and that can be really dangerous especially when you have you know bench unit versus bench unit out there and that's when bad things happen so that's a concern going forward too but i did want to ask you this i believe max um before we get into kind of talking about going forward uh i want to take a quick break in a second but i wanted to ask you give you the opportunity I believe, and I may be incorrect. Did you say, for this series, did you say Sixers and five or Sixers and six?
2: I believe I said Sixers in five. Were you Sixers in six?
1: I was in five. Do you want to, to redo your position? I don't. I don't want to. I think, that, I
2: think to. they win. I think they win in five. Still,
1: I don't. I think Brooklyn comes out and wins Game Three. Honestly, after being. Uh, Quite frankly, embarrassed after the Sixers were quite frankly embarrassed, and they trade that back and forth. Uh, they will be in Brooklyn. I expect there to be a decent cadre of of Sixers fans that made the trip up. I hope so. Um, but being at home court, having those extra days off to really stew in that loss, um, I think the Nets will squeak this one out, and then the Sixers run the table in the rest of the series. So I'm changing it to Sixers and six. Okay, I know it betrays my whole fuck you. Winning the chip <laughs> attitude, which I did carry through game one, by the way. People get very mad at me online about it, but I'm like, look, I'm having fun here. Had a couple of ciders watched the game with my friends, having a good time. Uh, so I'll change it to six, but I still think they get the series.
2: I respect the, the Sixers in six, but I, I think, I guess for me, I'd be, I'd be pretty concerned if they lose game three like if they drop one i i would hope that it's game four or five because if they come out after after game two and are just like oh we're good and get complacent and the and the nets are the ones who are you know motivated coming off of game two i just feel like that's a really bad sign like see, they got absolutely I... embarrassed in game one to to come out strong in game two and then just like immediately take their foot off the gas would surprise me i think if they get up two one i could see that
1: or even three, i don't see yeah i don't see it being a take a foot off the gas situation i think i see it being a really physical and chippy game as we have seen things happen so far. I see maybe there being some tease, maybe there being some some extracurriculars going on of some sort. Uh, and I think it's just beca- it's an ugly game that the Nets eke out. I don't think it's going to be a decisive win for either team actually quite frankly. Um, and uh, by the way that's like the fifth time I say it, quite frankly. And with that and the receding hairline I think I've been possessed by the spirit of Stephen a. Smith. <laughs> Um, but, yeah, I don't see this being crazy decisive for either team. Hope I'm wrong, obviously, uh, for the, in the Sixers' uh, advantage. But I can see this being a nail-biter, just kind of, you know, street brawl, like a, you know, 103-101 game. That, and then that's eke out, and then the Sixers just come back and, and, you know, guns blazing and take the rest of the series.
2: I like that in today's NBA, a 103-101 is like a, a hard-fought. It's like, it's like a yeah. 10-7 NFL game from... 10
1: years ago. Yeah, actually, so this is a quick aside. Actually, you know what? We'll get to that in a second. Let's take a quick break. Let's, let's do that.
0: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N 29.com.
1: All right, we're back. Uh, quick aside. Um, I Maybe I should have fact-checked on that break, but I'm not going to. Um... I read a piece, uh, I believe it was from the LA Times, uh, when I was eating lunch yesterday, and it was about uh, the Clippers, I believe television broadcaster, whose name I cannot recall, uh, who often has the, uh, the kind of the go-to line during his broadcast to, you know, more often than not, first team to 100 wins, um, and it was about, you know, is that factually correct? And uh, whoever wrote this uh, did, I believe it was the LA Times. You can look this up, and I apologize for not knowing the person's name either. Um, They looked at twenty-seven, like the last twenty-three years of NBA basketball, so it was like twenty-seven thousand games. And uh, it turns out the team that reached a hundred first won ninety-four percent of the games. Wow! And now you could think to yourself, okay, well, uh, teams just reach a hundred or lost less frequently so maybe it was like 100 to 98 so obviously it didn't reach 100 first one or 104 to, to 85 obviously that's the case too so but just so it is happening less but even over just the last 3 years um it's 88% of games which is kind of wild when you think about it especially when you look at you know look at the you know put put the the point differential aside it was 145-123 in Sixers nets so, that's, you know, to be able to have that still kind of be 88% accurate is wild. But they did look into, um, I think they looked at it as if you were to take that 94% number or whatever and kind of apply it to today's modern NBA, uh, what point is it at now? And it's, uh, I think it's 94% of the time, the t- first team to score 114 uh, is the team mm. that will win the game. That's okay. the more more accurate. But yeah. Uh, I thought that was actually pretty interesting. That's the kind of shit. That is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. So, let's just talk about specifically what you want to see from the Sixers going forward. Against you know game planning, um, um, any kind of rotation changes you want to see. There haven't really been. Honestly, kind of shockingly, outside of uh, James Ennis returning from injury. Um, there really wasn't much much rotation change from game one to two um, and it was more just you know there was some ske- defensive scheming that went on just shutting them down more and just you know honestly just fucking playing harder and better um, but is there anything that stands out to you that you want to see you know game three four five six if seven um, specifically Brett you know focus in on pull back from something you just think they need to specifically do to kind of like really really lock this up?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I the biggest thing is I just want to see Ben Simmons continue to be aggressive, um, right? Because I think that was that was really what made the difference in the beginning of the game was was he was able to just make things happen and he was huge, yeah, yeah. And it, and it's you know I think when he's not doing that, it's so easy for for defenses when he's not attacking like that. It's so easy for defenses to kind of just
1: sag off and not have to to really focus in on him and and it and it was it was. Just, it was- Literally right out of the gate I remember as soon as the tip-off started and this is not really something you see very often in the NBA where He caught the tip and then ran with it. Yeah, usually It's like one of those things where you know you every once in a while. There's that there's like a story of like Some coach that won like states in Missouri by just having his kids play full-court press all game and they're always like well Why would you give them the whole court to come up you play defense and everyone's like Sh- we fucking hate you shut up? um but it's like the idea of like when you when you catch, when you take the tip off, it's like an understood thing that like you bring the ball up and you let the defense get set. And Pinson was just like, fuck that. Why am I doing that? Um, and that's really not something you see very often. So as soon as that happened, I'm like, all right, he's in his own head in a good way.
2: Yeah. No, is that that's the biggest thing and i don't know if that's something brett brown can really do i'd say like in terms of rotation i like that they didn't play tj mcconnell i mean they played him in the fourth quarter when the yeah. game was in in hand they he was one of those guys who finished the last 10 minutes or whatever but uh along with cork and simmons and speaking of guys who finished at the end why did Zaire smith not play those 10 garbage minutes like that was inexplicable
1: uh, he was inactive why was he inactive uh, with Ennis back, I think they chose to make Zaire inactive over making Jonathan Simmons inactive.
2: That's a better question. Is why that? Why why right. uh, why no, Jonathan I, Simmons I, at this point? That I didn't I, even that realize I didn't realize because, because yeah. yeah. He was in a suit. Huh. I just didn't notice that. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't get what Jonathan Simmons really brings to the table and like you're only hopefully you're only playing Jonathan Simmons as a victory cigar or whatever the opposite of that the defeat cigarette uh sure <laughs> defeat pipe uh yeah. It, yeah i i guess i just don't really understand why you'd even activate jonathan simmons because because if ennis gets hurt or someone else gets hurt or, or someone's playing poorly and you want to you know go to the next guy i would think that would be mcconnell playing more minutes or maybe quirk I, I don't really see what simmons gives you that that any of those guys don't at least get zaire in there also I, i'd rather play zaire than jonathan simmons just straight up but especially if it's garbage time but i guess going back to stuff yep. that actually matters uh i thought tj mcconnell not playing was probably for the best um i don't yeah. think he's really equipped to defend Daniel russell which is really like the only thing you'd want him doing out there um mm-hmm. other than shooting his little 12 footer uh you know you bring him in there for defense and intensity but it's like he can't he can't stick with with d'angelo so it's it just doesn't just doesn't make sense against the raptors if they make it to that series and the raptors win i think against lowry like that that's i think where maybe mcconnell has you know uh has some some there's a positive to bringing him in for 15 minutes off the bench Uh, i don't really see it in this series
1: no i agree and i think we talked about this before i know i at least talked about it off pod about how honestly you're gonna have it's it's the one of the goals of playing in the playoffs is to never have, or in very rare occasions, if the game is, is within striking distance for you or you're trying to keep the other team at bay, basically have a starter on the floor at all times. Um, and with that in mind, I think, you know, I know we talked about it off-pod, I'm pretty sure, but maybe on-pod as well, that like your best backup point guard option is Jimmy Butler. Um, and you saw that, obviously, in game one. He tried to put the team on his back. Really, the only reason they were even close at the end, Uh, but it wasn't enough. Um, You know, he scored what do you have? 36 points. Uh, And then game two, um, where the whole team played much better, he, you know, he only had seven points. Uh, He was three of 10 shooting, but, you know, he had seven assists. He was making himself active on the defensive end. He was like, fell into, like, a, a, a equally important role without having to, pl- having to play hero ball to try to eke the game out, mm-hmm. which I thought was great. You know, you look, at, you look at the numbers, you're like, oh, he had literally, he had less points than DJ McConnell, but um, in, like, in almost triple the minutes, but he played an all-around game uh, of impactful basketball that just really fit in with the way they were playing, too. Um, so, yeah, I think that's huge. I think Tobias getting out of a slump at a, at a nice time is helpful uh, hopefully that continues to go. Uh, obviously Embiid being able to play and being able to play, you know, legit minutes is big. I know like Boban was, you know, unreal and like hilariously great, uh, 16 and eight, uh, in the last game. But ideally you probably don't want Boban out there for almost 20 minutes. I mean, Boban played 18, 15 and Joel played 20, 55, uh, that was because, like, Joel would have had to play more if that game wasn't wasn't in hand, but um, you kind of want to be on the other side of that where you don't have to play Boban that much in a tight game um, based around health, right? That yeah. becomes a concern. Um, so that's something that worries me a little bit, but I think if they stay healthy, if they kind of stick with what worked in game two and then react, you know, then I think they're in good shape. I think it's more about, at this point, reacting to how the Nets react. Because you, you know, it's a tie series and you're going to Brooklyn. But, I mean, to me, and I think to a lot of observers of the series now, it feels like the Sixers have the upper hand just because of how demonstrative they played in game two.
2: I agree. Um, I thought, speaking of Boban, low-key, he has been, other than Mike Scott, like their most important role player <laughs> off the, off the mm-hmm. bench uh, yep. you know i i kind of feel like i almost want to see them play boban more uh than they're playing him now uh, i don't really know where you find the minutes for that but um right. you know he played 18 minutes in this last game put up 16 and 9 what went like four or five from mid-range uh you know i just i just I feel like he makes things happen and he to kind of changes the dynamic when he's in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if they can get Embiid, I thought I thought the 21 minutes he played in this last game, it was like pretty ideal. He seemed more like himself throughout the game. And like if they need to do that, if they need to limit him to 20 minutes to make right. that happen and to keep him healthy for now, uh, obviously if they advance in the playoffs, I'd like to see that change. But like in this series, if you need to play Embiid 20 minutes and play Boban 24 and Bolden and whatever else for the, the the remaining few minutes, like go ahead and do that. I, I just I feel like it affords the fact that you have Boban and not that he's anywhere near the level of Joel and Embiid, but like just having a guy who is a bit of a difference maker and at least has some some things that makes the defense have to uh, change what they're doing when he's in the game. Like I I think that affords you the ability to to not have to overexert Embiid. And I thought in the first yeah. game they they did that a little bit with Embiid. There were times where he just seemed kind of gassed or not himself
1: yeah um i think it's good to keep it fairly brief today just about a half hour now just kind of keep it um you don't want to harp too much on there's a lot of series still left um so if you don't have anything else to say uh and any other points uh you want to take a couple questions max yeah sure all right cool um so i hate to open with this one but i do think it is interesting um we don't have to harp on it too much um at Booby Styles, who we both know, asked, Would you consider trading Ben Simmons for De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, and a future first? Now, before we even get into this, I will say that the idea of trading Ben Simmons in his second year, in his first All Star appearance year, when he is still growing as a player, still coming into his zone, and showing still this is the player he is even now, is out of my mind bonkers. However, i don't think this would i don't think the kings would do this darren fox buddy healed and a future first is a lot to give up for somebody especially the way healed and darren fox both came into their own in the last season and a half basically um so i would not but that is probably about as close to an enticing but also semi-realistic offer as you could probably pitch me on
2: yeah i i just uh i feel like if they if they were to do it and i think uh Obviously, there was a lot more talk about this after game one um, than than there will be now with with Simmons. But, like, if they were to move on from Ben Simmons, I feel like it has to be a consolidating pieces move. Like, I just think Mm -hmm. trading someone with his potential, I don't feel that way about, you know, if you brought back Jimmy and in a year you want to trade him. Like, that to me is really different. Ben Simmons is a possibly, like, transcendent superstar in the league. And I just think if you're giving that up, you need to be getting back someone who at least has the potential to reach that level. And I don't think De'Aaron Fox or Buddy Heald has that. I think both of them at best are, you know, let's say like Kyle Lowry to use his name again, like Kyle Lowry level stars, um, not, uh, Kawhi Leonard level stars, which is what Ben Simmons says.
1: They're probably not foundational.
2: No, exactly, Um, and I think they'd be like the fit would be awesome. Like having, I mean, and maybe the Sixers have reached the point where you need to start considering that uh, that -hmm. they're that beyond long term. There's like an immediate that that probably makes you more of a contender than you are now uh, if you did that for next season. But I I just think you could do better. I think there will be a star who become who comes available in the next year, and if you're looking to trade Ben Simmons, you can do that for that star, and that'll be the most enticing offer because who's going to trade more than more than that, more than a twenty-three-year-old superstar in the making.
1: Yeah. Um. The next question, which I think is fun, uh, this is from uh, at I am Grum. Uh, if Joel Embiid had LBD you too as hard as he did uh, Jared Allen, how far would your jaw land away from your body? Imagine it's an open field. As uh, so there's no fan interruption or walls that can like you can like bounce up against. Um, Are we
2: to assume this is in a vacuum as well, like like most physics equi-
1: equations? I, I would I would assume so. Yeah. So let's say that. Um, I would say so. Uh, Max, have you seen uh, Jason Takes Manhattan? No. Okay, so it's Friday the Thirteenth. Maybe Jason Takes Manhattan. Um, he's on a boat for most of the movie. There's very little Manhattaning going on. But at the very end, they are in Manhattan, they're on this rooftop, and there's this guy, pretty sure he's wearing a windbreaker, who just, like, he wants to box Jason. This is, like, his grand strategy to defeat this, this, like, you know, guy with barnacles on his head. It's, like, obviously he killed all his friends. He's, like, oh, gonna okay, fist fight this guy. It'd be great. So he punches him a bunch, and Jason, like, isn't affected by it. And then he's, like, tired and puts his hands He goes, all right, give me your best shot and Jason uppercuts him and punches his head off of his shoulders. And the head goes flying. And that's what would happen to me.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think it would just be my jaw. I would like my, my head would go full like Jack Skellington. Like it would just fall yeah. off and roll across the court or the field or wherever we are when this where this is happening. Yeah. Uh I would definitely definitely never play basketball again if that happened to me.
1: Yeah. Uh at Shicky, Ryan Schick, um Asked who all on the current team's roster would you rather have Jakar Sampson take their spot instead? I think we probably have the same one at least, maybe two answers. I might have more than that. Jonathan Simmons and T.J. McConnell for me. Ooh man,
2: T.J. is not would not be in my top two. I would. You don't think so? For,
1: I think Furkan Korkmaz. Yeah, but like here's the thing. All right, you t- all right so he takes Korkmaz's spot. So it's like, oh, congratulations! You got a minute and a half a game.
2: Oh, you're saying? I I just thought it was on the roster, and then I can choose to not play T.J. McConnell. Oh, I took I it a different way.
1: Okay, I took it a different way. You can All right, say well, it whatever way you want.
2: I, I think yeah. He, if you're, ta- he, if he did, you're talking,
1: he did, he did ask spot and not minutes, so I just kind of assumed and, and probably uh, assumed wrongly.
2: Yeah, if you're talking role, then then yeah, like if he could play James Ennis or T.J. McConnell's role, that would that would be ideal to me. Um, mm-hmm. There are probably like five guys on the roster that I give up. Right now. Uh yeah like I would give up uh Greg Monroe. Mm-hmm. I'd give up Furcon maz mm-hmm. I'd give up Jonah Bolden. Mm-hmm. I'd give up Jonathan Simmons. Mm-hmm. And am I missing anyone? Amir. Yeah, i give but, up like, Amir one hundred percent. Yeah. But, no. Amir's out. And am I missing anyone else? Zaire, but I'm not gonna obviously like. There's a future component of that, but if it's just for this for this round, sure, I I'd, I I'd, I'd drop Zaire if it meant having uh just for this series or for the rest of the playoffs. It yeah. kind of sucks because I feel like if they had even like Anderson, like Justin Anderson would be an actual rotation piece for the Sixers this year. Who's who's useful in these playoffs? So it kind of sucks I mean, that was- they've they've run through like between him, Jeremy Grant, Jakar. Uh, they've kind of left themselves without any wing depth.
1: Yeah, but I mean at the same time you say Justin Anderson would have been helpful this year, but you know, he was quote-unquote helpful last year and how far did they go? At the same time. You know, the team's obviously better this year, but like I thought he should have played more. Better, I guess
2: he got hurt last year, but I thought I thought it was weird that he didn't play more to begin with last year.
1: It seemed like his job in round 1 was just to annoy the hell out of Dwayne Wade. Yeah. So. Um Dr. Bunsen Honeydew at Big Ted, Big Head Ted asked uh this is probably more for you because I don't travel a ton, but I do have an answer for this, which is favorite opposing stadium slash venue you've ever been mm. to and why, any sport. Any uh, while you're stuff. thinking, because you have you have many many more to think about. Um, I will just say that mine is Wrigley Field, which I went to when I was like ten years old for free on an airplane, obviously. Uh, because I won a paper airplane flying contest, I was one of a dozen winners of a paper airplane flying contest, and the prize was a day trip to Chicago. This this whole the, this whole situation mm-hmm. sounds like it was nineteen thirty seven. <laughs> it does. Like, yeah. You won
2: a paper airplane flying contest, and were brought to Chicago, where you went to Wrigley for Field the, to watch the, the Cubs play for,
1: for the World's Fair, obviously. Yes, <laughs> uh, on a, on a real live airplane, aeroplane. Uh, yeah, no, we just did that. It was really cool. Uh, Cubs fills. I think it was one of the years that Morin, Mickey Morandini was on the Cubs. Um, I could be swapping that with Doug Glanville in my head. It might be that. Uh, probably Glanville actually makes more sense yeah, time-wise. But yeah, uh, Wrigley Field. It's tough because I don't really like baseball,
2: and I feel like that's, you know, that that's, where the unique. know
1: stadiums that's what what the character is when it comes to the actual venue itself yeah
2: like i've been to wrigley and wrigley's really cool but i wouldn't say that was like my favorite experience i'd probably say i'd probably say madison square garden like it just Mm. there's something really cool about it um it's like it's a unique looking arena the energy when it's a good game is is really solid like i've been to Sixers Mm -hmm. games there um other than that I actually really like the old sleep train arena, the old King before I haven't been to the new King's arena, but their old arena was actually kind of cool. It was like a piece of shit, but it, it yeah. was, it kind of reminded me of the spectrum a little bit. Um, but it had like literally like wooden, uh, bleachers like leading up to the, like the, the floor is, or the, the floor goes like right up to where the seats start. And then there was like, just the whole thing was so janky. It kind of like had a lot of like palestra, like fixtures and stuff just because it was so old and like, cement and wood and stuff uh i thought that was cool um other than that i'd probably say uh i'd probably say uh uh moda center rose garden um in portland is really cool yeah. there's like kind of a similar vibe it's like a little bit older and just packed and it's a basketball focused arena instead of being like a hockey arena that can right. also have basketball
1: yeah those combo arenas they're like when you had a, a cafeteria slash auditorium uh, in in grade school you know the combo thing um it's got a couple more uh this was from at stake css215 and i had to ask for clarification on this um it says how do you feel about being known more for an ad on a podcast rather than an actual podcast so i sent that tweet to you and two of our friends patrick and john john bartard and john clarified that uh Apparently, our ad plays all the time on a bunch of different of the SB Nation network podcasts, which is cool. One, it's cool, but two, man, it makes me wish that we did a better job with that ad.
2: <laughs> yeah, good thing I don't listen to podcasts, or that would be uh, no. that'd be really
1: embarrassing to, to hear that all the time. Don't actually listen to sports podcasts. That is true. Um, nothing, nothing against people who do them, but yeah. So yeah, if you hear our voice <laughs> all the time on other podcasts and you're annoyed by it, like. I guess are bad, but also not our fault. True, and also listen uh, to the step over pod. <laughs> <laughs> what's uh, um, what's our last question? Our last question uh, is from Andrew Quinlan at Andrew Quinlan three. Which sixer from last year's team, excluding Coven Dario, would help the most right now? So, uh, just so you're aware, if you exclude uh, Coven Dario, the only uh, people who played any playoff minutes last year that aren't here this year. Um to the playoffs only are Jared Bayless, Rashawn Holmes, Markel Fultz, Justin Anderson, uh, Bellinelli, and Ilya Sova. But then also if you go to the regular season, uh, you have Timotei Lawu-Cabarro, you have Trevor Booker, you have James Young, you have Nick Stauskis, you have Okafor you have James Michael McAdoo, you have Jacob Pullin. Um I think Honestly like like to me that's got it just basically comes down to uh Bellinelli ilyasova um and honestly I think I'd go with Urson on that one I would too Yeah cuz Bellinelli has the sh- the long distance shooting obviously um and that definitely helped in the playoffs last year but I think you know taking charges for one offensive boards uh for another um He's a much worse free throw shooter, but I think that just he off Eliasova would just offer you a little bit more, not the world's greatest decision maker on when it comes to when to attempt three pointers sometimes. Um, but I think he would just give you more, especially and I think he might fit this roster honestly a little bit better.
2: I, I agree with all of that. Um, also, I'd love to see Ursula Ilyasova and, and Boban out on the floor together, just grabbing, popping flat footed rebounds, tapping them to oh, each yeah. other
1: seven times in a row before finally coming down with it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you on that. Um, so that's all we got. Uh, I guess we should probably wrap it up. Uh, we will um, obviously be uh, watching the game, the series as it shakes out. We will probably just feel it out. Uh, see how the series looks for when we actually do our next one. Um, and then, yeah, we will, uh, we will talk to you next time um, as the series unfolds and hopefully there will not be any sense of panic in our voices next time you hear them.
2: I really hope so.
1: I hope so, too. So uh, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you then. See you.